Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Vision of the second coming of Christ. There's many, many important issues in the church that need to be restirred again in the hearts of people, especially a church like this that has been laboring for the Lord for many, many years. And that's why it's important. You know, I know your pastor probably, uh, like many, many other pastors, there's certain things that you have to touch on all the time. You've got to rehearse them because people forget, uh, people neglect. And so I want to minister on the subject of the harvest tonight and energizing the harvest from Matthew 24, if you'll turn there with me, energizing the harvest. And as you know by now, our fellowship in all the years of its existence has an acute conviction for the harvest field. It's more than just a commission, though, you know, a commission is very, very uh, important. It is our passion. The harvest field is our passion to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to send them into the harvest field. And I know this church also is actively involved in that task. And with all your heart and your prayers, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you want to reach the nations of the world and you're actively involved in that. But I have seen a real decline, especially in the general church world and their attitude concerning the harvest field. And how many are abandoning the Great Commission and replacing it with social programs and entertainment. That is not what we are called to do. And this is what the world is involved in right now. It's all about social media. It's all about entertainment, fun and games. It's making everything fun. And yet we have a serious task before us that we can't afford to neglect. And so I believe every church, regardless of how much they have or how much they don't have, should make some kind of attempt attempt to do all that they can do to reach souls of humanity by investing in the harvest field personally, prayerfully, and financially. If the church does not have a passion for souls, the devil certainly does. ISIS is prospering today because of the very principles of evangelism. They're using it. The church is not even using it. ISIS is using it. They are recruiting the uh, the, uh, youth. They are recruiting inmates. They have a very sophisticated advertising campaign to uh, recruit people to their cause. They accumulate incredible resources to promote their agenda. And many are starting to be very concerned about the number of young Americans, both male and female, that they are recruiting right now in our country. They're doing it because of the principles of evangelism. In all the wars and all the conflicts of the past that there's been since the beginning of time, the world has never seen the spirit and the phenomena that is associated with ISIS today. They are absolutely void of moral boundaries. They are in the news almost every day, and there's a reason for this. They are the product of a growing godless society. They are the testimony to our country and to the rest of the world of what happens when you neglect the harvest field. It's yet to be seen whether or not they will be stopped. That's debatable. But I can tell you this for sure. Listen very carefully. The spirit they possess, they're crucifying little children. They're crushing infants. They're burning people to death. They are absolutely gruesome. The spirit that they possess has all the earmarks of the spirit needed to produce the deeds that is described in the Great Tribulation. I felt that one. It's absolutely true. Because that's, that's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like. Could this mean that the event 
This tribulation period that has been spoken since the beginning of time is not so in the distant future. Maybe it's closer than we think. You say it scares me. That's exactly what it needs to do. Make no mistake about it. If the uh, of the tribulation, uh, you know, it, you know, is it, not stopped, they're going to stamp out the testimony of Christ. That's what they want to do. That's what ISIS wants to do. They're taking a sledgehammer to all the historical sites or religious sites, whatever it is, they're destroying everything. They want to erase the testimony of God. ISIS is not just involved in religious persecution. They are involved in Christian and Jewish annihilation. Headlines April 14th, 2015, the Islamic militant group Boko Haram is adapting ISIS' bloody strategy of stamping out Christianity with a frightening fever, putting Nigeria's 70 million followers of Jesus in danger for their lives, fearful human rights activists say. Boko Haram leaders vowed their formal allegiance to ISIS in an audio message in Arabic posted on Twitter last month, social media. According to intelligence analysts, the militant group has launched murderous rampages across the northeastern Nigeria and into neighboring Chad, Cameroon, and Niger. In an attack April 7th, Islamist extremists disguised themselves as preachers and killed at least 24 people in Nigeria's Borno state. They will do every, anything. They have no rules. There's no rules of engagement. There's nothing. It's their agenda, and that is to stamp out Christians and Jews. It's the spirit of the tribulation. They want to erase every trace of the Judeo-Christian culture from the earth. Their spirit is definitely rooted in Antichrist only 70 years after the Holocaust. That is all over our history books. And the same type of disaster appears to be brewing again. And no one's doing anything to stop it. That's the insanity of it. While this is happening, much of the church world that is supposed to represent the testimony of Jesus Christ is asleep at the wheel of evangelism. Even the subject, you know, when it's mentioned, many times it's not presented with the, the passion it needs to have. It's like a side program of the church somewhere. Do you understand that we're losing the world unless we evangelize the harvest field? I said all that to say this, that we are accelerating toward an event that I believe is closer than many people realize. And it's going to involve things that the world has never seen before. It's also going to involve a harvest of souls, like I mentioned the other night, that the world has never seen before. And so I want to consider the harvest for a few minutes and how we need to return back to evangelism. You say, well, pastor, I, you know, we have outreaches and stuff. I understand that. But listen, it should not be a program. It needs to become a passion again. When it's a burning passion, it's different. It works. Rather than to get saddled up every Saturday and do what you always do and pass out the same flyers and say the same things, uh, it needs to be a passion. You need to get a picture of humanity walking off a cliff into the lake of fire. You need, be, need, need to be disturbed by the condition of our country and the world today. Because the greatest influential force in the earth is the church of Jesus Christ. When the church is dedicated to the harvest field, it brings wholeness and blessing and prosperity and destiny to any society. When the church is distracted from its mission, worldly leadership starts to dictate and influence the social, the political, and the religious climate. They're going to tell you what to worship and how to worship. It's going to be a governmental control thing, according to the spirit of Antichrist in the last days. And when that happens, when the harvest field is neglected, the world loses light. And that's exactly the description of the world today. It's losing light. What did Jesus say? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is light, for the night cometh when no man can work. Amen. Today, the message of the gospel and world evangelism is compromised because it is meant to facilitate the social climate and insanity rather than the spiritual need of the world. It's hard to imagine that people will be more concerned about the way they look to each other than the way that they look to God. 
It's hard to imagine that you'd be more concerned about an upgrade on your phone than telling someone about Jesus. What best describes the spirit I'm talking about is uh, an, a, relig- a religious leader was interviewed. I saw on the news a number of weeks ago. And he's a very popular bishop. He's an archbishop of Washington. His name is Donald Wuerl. This is what he said when he was being interviewed. Listen to this. Religious philosophy meets people where they are. All right, that's okay. And accompanies them on their journey. What? Doesn't that sound so harmless? So docile, so transparent, so nice and so facilitating. But it's exactly opposite of what the gospel declares, which is turn around and repent from the path you're on right now. Do God's will and get on the path that leads to life. Whatever happened to the word repent somewhere in there? And see, that's what they think is evangelism today. Oh, just find out what kind of insanity people are involved in and just join them on their way to insane, insane land. (laughs) Of course God will meet you where you are. Thank God for that, otherwise none of us would be here. But he wants you to, to get your feet out of the miry clay and get them established on the rock, which is Christ. The news media. See, we lost light. The news media is now referring to any 2016 2016 candidate that embraces any moral conviction as a candidate of yesterday. Oh, I see. You're a candidate of yesterday. In other words, if you don't believe in same-sex marriage, if you don't believe in open borders, if you don't believe in defining uh, the family, redefining the family, if you don't believe in the new world social order, if you know, you're a candidate of yesterday, you're outdated, you're old-fashioned, you're no longer relevant. That's what they're saying. So in other words, God's out, traditional marriage is out, right and wrong is out, monogamy is out, holiness is out, uh, integrity is out, uh, credibility is out, virtue is out, wholesomeness is out, diligence is out, discipline is out, uh, you're just a person of yesterday, you're old-fashioned, you're outdated. This country has departed from those principles. You know what the world would be like to live in a world where everything is taken apart, unscrewed, and disassembled? You're about ready to experience that. Everything you try to do falls apart. You sit on a chair and it falls apart. You step on a ladder and all the rungs fall off it. Just think of the impact that that would have in the social atmosphere alone. When there's no rule. When everyone does what's right in their own sight. Just think what that would happen in the military. No more standards. No more shooting anything. No more killing the enemy. Now it's just love train. Then I'll tell you, that's why where everything is falling apart. When national security is not only even secure anymore. The only answer is Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. See, the gospel is an infusion of sanity. It's righteousness and hope and peace and love, soundness and wholeness. And without uh, the, the, the gospel and without the morality and the salvation of Jesus Christ that he brings to a person's life, there's not a chance for ever any recovery to take place. It's get on the boat because the flood's coming. That's the message we should have right now. Now, I know what religious people want me to say. Pastor, don't get so excited. Just lower the bar. You got the gate so narrow, not even an earthworm can get in. Forget about the standards. Let's become a social media church. Let's put Starbucks in the foyer. Let's get, uh, you know, a uh, uh, charging base for our cell phones. You know, let's have, let's have everything, you know, in the social media realm. Let's all get some Jesus tats. Yeah, then we can serve God. During a sermon about acceptance, isn't that what it's all about today? Jesus never preached the gospel of acceptance. He preached the gospel of salvation, of deliverance, 
And so during his sermon uh, about acceptance, whether, uh, you know, politically or religiously, a pastor uh, offered to pick up the tab for any church member who wanted to get a church logo permanently inked on them. I said it flippantly, the pastor said, not thinking that anyone would really take me up on it. <laughs> so far, at least seven church members, including a realtor, have taken him up on the offer. It's a great way to show your faith. <laughs> By the time Bill Gold's tattoo shop closes for the night, at least 12 church members from the Cross Mount Church will have inked their faith with the church logo on them. It means absolutely nothing. It's not a testimony. It's not evangelism. Jesus never wished that he can get a tattoo so more people can get saved. It's not going, you know, it's not going into the whole world and show your tattoos to every creature. How many remember Larry Reed just recently passed away? He had tattoos all over his body. There was nothing to do in San Quentin but put tattoos on your body. And so I guess a couple of times he did go to somebody and they put some tattoos on down his arms in Japanese. And they were foul. So he's on a plane and he's connecting in Tokyo somewhere. And there's a bunch of Asian people on the plane. And he's got short sleeve shirts on. And so he's wondering why everybody is walking down the aisles of the airplane. They're going like this. And they're laughing. And the whole plane is taking their turn to look at his tattoos on his arm. And so finally, he, you know, he said, I'm, you know, he came and preached for me. No pastor on his name. He said, oh, brother. Oh, brother. Listen, brother. It's, you know, he says, I don't know what they put on there, but it's, it's, it's foul. Take me to a tattoo parlor in El Paso. And I'll let him put some lines in there so it doesn't make any sense. Larry would always get you in trouble. So he talked me into it. We go down to this seedy place in El Paso. It's seedy and scary just during the daytime. I knew we were in for trouble because outside the tattoo shop was this purple bike motorcycle it had the skull seat and the skull handlebars and i said oh this is this is this is right up larry's you know so we go in there and there's a guy in there he's got a beard he's a biker he got chains around his neck spikes and stuff like that and he's he's working on this guy this guy's getting a guadalupe on his chest and a jesus on the other side of whatever and so so he said, hey, hey, you think you could, uh, you, think, you know, I can't get these off. He said, ah, we don't take them off here. We only put them on. And he said, well, can you put a couple of lines in there to just, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Just wait. And so while he's working on this guy, Larry goes over to him and says, hey, hey, I see you getting Jesus on. He said, hey, why don't you, why don't you try to get him in your heart instead of on your skin? And the guy goes, watch out what you say to my $100 customers. Get out of here. And so we split really fast. You know how many criminals there are in penitentiaries that have all kinds of religious tattoos? They're not saved. It's not a testimony. <laughs> what is on your skin is not necessarily a reflection of what's in your heart or your soul. See, tats before you're saved is a great testimony of the lifestyle that God has taken you out of. Tats after salvation is like erasing your testimony. Should I duck? <laughs> it's true. Well, it means nothing. Then don't do it. <laughs> this is the latest thing. The first thing people do when they leave my church is they get a tattoo. I have been stopping them all this time from expressing themselves. You know what I'm saying is right. I know people don't want to hear it, but the job of any Holy Ghost preacher is to get people on the path that leads to life and off the path that leads to insanity. See, I checked out of the world 40 years ago when I got saved. This is my 40th year in Christ. And today I still live in the world, but I'm not a part of the world. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that you hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 
there's some Christians today in the church that can't say the world hates them because they're just like the world there's no difference they just come to church 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of, the, of God abideth forever. That wasn't written in our generation. We can, it's just totally believable. That was written in the apostles' generation. And still, there was uh, lust and all kinds of things in his generation that he had to warn people to stay away. It's gotten even worse today. Now we have digital sin. One of the crazies I just heard in the news is the adult regression therapy. Hold on to your seat where adult people go to a psychotherapist just take the word therapist out <laughs> they wear diapers they they are placed in a crib or a playpen they play with the dolls and toys of their youth that remind them of their childhood they poop in their diapers they want to bond with their childhood life to try to fix their present life but see we're crazy I'm not crazy. I don't wear diapers anymore. <laughs> Hopefully Jesus will come before I have to start again. <laughs> Amen. See what this is. This is the progression of the insanity of my generation and what happens when you didn't get saved. We got saved from that. This is how it's progressed so that now we're wearing diapers, we're doing all kinds of insane things. That's where I was headed. That's why I ain't doing that stuff anymore. The insanity of the world never stops. There's no end to it. Amen. The same answer for the insanity of my generation is the same answer for this insanity today. It's preaching the gospel. It's world evangelism. It's the method that God chose. Again, I've been saved 40 years this year. I believe God much more today than when I first believed. Because I have learned many things over the years and I have seen 40 years of decisions processed through time, both in my own personal life and in the lives of other people that did not choose so wisely. I've been saved again and again and again and again because I want to do God's will. Being a Christian is the best life anyone can live this side of eternity. Why many churches have a hard time with evangelism is because, I want to look at secondly, the harvest field is hard work. That's why it's easy to neglect. It's dirty. It's expensive. It doesn't get easier. And it's the easiest area for believers to neglect. It's a type of work that causes sweat and labor and expending of much energy, brain cells and resources. It's bending down and digging and pulling and watering and fertilizing and continually watching. There's many insects and parasites and predators that will eat up the fruit of the harvest if it's not taken care of. Picking a few baskets of strawberries, uh, you know, off the Cape where I am or picking apples in, in, uh, in the fall is fun. But when you have to harvest a field, a sizable field, that is no longer fun, it's hard work. Our field is the world. And from the looks of the world today, it doesn't look like it's being harvested for God. We have incredible machinery today that makes the process much easier. But since ancient times, any uh, harvest involving a crop that produces fruit was always meant to be hand-picked. We also have very helpful tools and technology today that we can make available. Why doesn't people use social media for Jesus today? Why is it always for nothing but junk? You know, I preach against it all the time. And I wish there was a camera that thou shalt not, but it's, there is none.
But it's like, you know, well, if I can't text anybody, well, I'm, not t- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all the social media stuff. You know, anyone that uses social media has to be extremely disciplined because all it is is a digital gossip mill. Who cares about your blog? (laughs) Say something for God. If you're going to say anything. How many words have been added to the English language just because of all the insanity of the social media today? We're rewriting the entire dictionary. Symbols and signs and, you know, what does that mean? Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. World evangelism is a hands-on ministry. Every believer and every church that existed in the world made uh, the harvest its passion. And if we would do that today, the world would have already been reached for Jesus. But the stats are very sad. 38% of people in America today claim no particular religious identity. That's what a religious researcher calculates when he adds the unchurched and the never-churched totals. He calls his new category churchless. By his count, roughly four in ten people in the continental United States are actually post-Christian and essentially secular in belief and practice. If asked, the churchless would likely check off the box Christian on a survey, even though they might have not darkened the door of a church in years. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Just check off the box. That's all it means. President for the California-based Barna Group slides them into this new category based on 15 measures of identity, belief, and practice in more than 23,000 interviews in 20 surveys. The research looked at church worship, attendance, and participation, views about the Bible, God, and Jesus, and more to see whether folks were actually tied to Christian life in a meaningful way or tied more by habit or personal history. Ed Stess, the president of Lifeway Research, once called them nominals. People attached by name only. They don't want to cut the ties with their parents or go all the way to full-bore atheism. So they just say Christian since it's the default category from their heritage. He has the numbers to back it up. He says this, and I, I question this. He says, we are far from becoming an atheist nation. I think we're well on our way. He says there are tens of millions of active believers in America today, but the wall between the church and the churchless is growing higher and more impenetrable as more people have no muscle memory of what it means to be a regular Christian and a tender of a house of worship. 
How these people think, pray, and use their time is shifting away from a faith-based perspective. As a result, a churchless or secular worldview is becoming its own social force. Stephen Maccabee, an associate professor of political science at the University of Cincinnati, has compared church attendance to medication. It's not only the drug, but it's the dose that matters. <laughs> yeah. Too much church, too much church. Really? It's not too much sports. It's not too much social media. Too much church, too much God. It's impossible. The churchless come in several tribes, according to Kinnaman. About a third, or 32%, still identify as Christian. They say they believe in God, but they are wobbly on connections. Kinnaman calls them Christianized, but not very active. That might include someone like Katie West, who keeps the Christian label because she said, I follow, or at least I try to follow the teachings of Christ. She avoids religious services unless roped into a wedding or a funeral. But she considers herself a spiritual person without ever looking at the Bible. That's just about it. When I'm talking about the stats. Other tribes include the church list. Another stat is 25% are self-identified as atheists or agnostics. Kinnaman calls them skeptics. And their ranks have changed in the last two decades. Their per- the percentage of women is up 43% from just 16% since 1993. Highly educated and more mainstream than before, this group is here to stay, he said. 16% are Christians, people with a committed relationship with Christ, Kinnaman said, who don't go to church anymore. Kinnaman predicts no change in direction, he concluded. The younger the generation, the more post-Christian it is. That's the testimony of a failure to evangelize the world. How can the harvest be reached in the last days for Jesus when the essential foundations of Christianity no longer exist? Are we to assume that people who aren't even faithful to assemble themselves in a church service are the ones that are going to evangelize the world? Some churches don't have designated outreaches anymore. Saturdays I use for family. It's family time. Or sports or recreation. Well, I care about my family. If you do, bring them to church. People just have kids today. They don't raise them. The events some churches have can no longer be classified as outreach or evangelistic, but rather religious entertainment. I've got an article here that says, I have known youth with a mission people, intersecting with them through the years in various places around the world. They are always zealous and concerned people. The issue of entertainment evangelism did not originate with them, but I know one pastor of a large church who had mud wrestling in his Sunday service. Another one made a baptistry for kids in the shape of a fire engine. Bells clang and confetti is shot out when a child is baptized. And still another man I knew jumped on a rope and swung across the congregation one Sunday morning. The list of strange antics is endless and to my thinking quite demeaning of the gospel of Christ. Can you imagine Pastor Lamb swinging across? I could. But he don't. Not because he can't, because he don't want to. (laughs) Many churches, for instance, are not driven by great preaching of the gospel, but by their massive music programs. In fact, I think some of the poorest preaching uh, is found in some of these churches, and I'm always surprised that people still continue to go to them. There's no preaching. It's all entertainment and music. This is not a statement about large churches, but about those who have nothing much more but their music to hold them together. These are churches that put priority on the worship songs and the worship team and the music and think that's church. We had church, we sang. 
Some have full orchestras. And uh, some, the song service takes up most of their service and most of their time with just a minimal time of preaching at the end. Yes, church is about worshiping God, but the primary ministry of the church uh, is God's word and the preaching of the word and a response to God's word. Some studies conducted another study of a larger picture of evangelism the question is what do you think the gospel is you're going to ask these people to go to church they don't go to church don't read the bible what the gospel is some say it's merely a system of good works that's the gospel or it's it's moral actions or it's going to church only that's what makes a person a christian Others disagree, but nonetheless trivialize the gospel by the lighthearted way in which it's presented and responded to. If you want to be saved, just squeeze the person's hand next to you. You don't have hard enough grip to get them to repent. It's like, okay, okay, I'll get saved. You better be careful whose hand you squeeze next to you today. They might be sweet on you. Remember, this is the same sex generation. Oh yeah. They love to come to church. The ones that don't preach the gospel. It's a harvest field for them. These are all virgins here. It's a fact. There's no communicable diseases here. This is a safe sex house. Oh, you don't think that happens in church? Only preaching drives them out. When they come to my church, I don't want them to feel comfortable. And it only takes the first point of my sermon. And they don't love me anymore. That's fine. God loves me. Amen. What the abandonment of evangelism of the world has done to the world has caused a great gap in the foundations of faith in our country. But see, time waits for no generation. And more than anything else, what needs to grip you tonight is concerning the time left that we have. And the reality about that is the fact that summer is nigh. Summer is nigh. That's what I want to look at finally. Matthew 24, 32. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, put it forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Another translation says when its branches become green and tender and it starts putting out leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you will know that the time is near, ready to begin. So Jesus is saying, basically, there is a noticeable condition that you can observe. You can observe this. This comes by observation to know that the harvest is ready. That the world is ready to be harvested. And he's speaking... Just before our text about his coming and the many signs leading up to it. And he says his return can be designed by the condition the world is going to be in before he comes again. You're going to be able to see signs and evidences. And when you see these things, you need to understand there's a parallel. It's a condition. It's a spiritual condition. And it's showing you that summer is near. The harvest is ready to be gathered. See, our country has had a major testimony of Christian evangelistic efforts throughout the world since its foundation. And, uh, but today it's in such a decline that many are now being very concerned about the future. I believe, because you can already hear them ramping up. A lot of these political candidates for 2016, they're all starting to say now we need to return back. We need to, you know, uh, honor the Christian heritage that we have. We need to honor the moral, the traditional marriages. They're all going to promote this stuff because it's all gone today. Everything's been redefined. Ever since they 
ask Al Gore to define the family. He says, well, what kind of family are you talking about? A single parent family? A, a same-sex uh, uh, family? What kind of, you know? No, a, a traditional family. That's what a family is in the eyes of God. I would have to say, looking back at what God has done, that God was going to be uh, the one that's going to prep the world for the harvest that is coming, and he's the one that's going to energize the harvest and bring it to a fruition, because we have only a dent made in the world evangelism efforts. Our fellowship is putting churches out. We're making every effort we can. There's been multiplied millions of dollars spent on the harvest field. And thank God there are other fellowship churches that do that. And there are other fellowships that are not associated with us that do that. But when you gather it all, the population is growing in such a rate, we're only making a dent in it. Something has got to happen. And usually it's the godless condition and the decline of all kinds of stabilities and, and things that you normally would depend on. Now it's not there anymore. Usually that produces the desperation that energizes the harvest field. It's terrible that it always comes down to that when there's hardly anything left. I heard Pastor Mitchell say a couple of years ago, Obama's hastening the harvest and the Lord's return. He's helping. One of the saddest scriptures in the Bible concerning the harvest is Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then not is the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Of course there's a balm. Of course there's a remedy. But the lost have not been recovered. Why? Neglected the harvest field. There's a worldwide consensus right now of concern about the state of the civilized world and its future. Even people that have very little to do with God are starting to get worried now when they see some of these things being taken apart and it's like whoa the church has been greatly distracted from the harvest so that now we have a serious situation marriage broken relationships families children are falling prey to addictions and all kinds of uh, communicable diseases society is breaking down Riots, just like that, things spark uh, a massive uh, 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 situation. Government, the, the incredible scandals and unrighteousness and under the table and things that, you know, if you, if you knew what was going on, you would probably sign up for the next space mission. When you add to that equation the hostility against the Judeo-Christian culture, the church needs nothing less than a miracle in the harvest field in this generation. I know I'm talking to a church this evening that is committed to the harvest field. But I want to challenge you that this has got to become a passion. You know how you used to have a passion for certain things before you were saved? You know, you used to like to wash your car all the time and wax it. Clean the interior with a toothbrush. Crazy. Where's that car today? <laughs> oh, don't, don't slam the doors. Okay, get it quietly, nice, easy. The passion you had for things. For sports. Your body is aching today because of your passion to play sports. You went beyond the limit of your own physical endurance. And you're paying for it today. Just don't worry about that because you're going to feel a lot better today than you're going to feel. Because that stuff doesn't get better. Passion drove you. 
Remember when you first liked someone? (sighs) A train couldn't step between you. You're ready to do anything. And now, I got outraged today. You're going, no, I don't think so. I think I'm going to take the dog to the vet. That's a high calling, man. See, it's not just good enough to throw money at it. That's the answer for everything today. Just throw some money at it. No, develop another passion for souls. I remember one time Pastor Lamb was preaching in El Paso. I took him to the food court in the mall. And there was this guy there. He probably remembers his name was Larry. Hi, I'm Larry from the Bronx. <laughs> and I hadn't been back east in a long time. And so I was, I, I just, I, yeah, I've always had a passion for the people in the East Coast. And so I talked to Larry. He had the, he had the accent, you know. Uh, and I, I tried to get, talk to him about Jesus and stuff like that. And so I said, hey, hey, Scott, this is Larry. He's from the Bronx. Hey, I'm Larry from the Bronx. You know, it's like, and, and so we brought the pizza back to our table, and I started to tear up. And I told Scott, I said, man, that son of a gun reminds me of my cousin who's not saved. I wish to God that he would get saved and come to church. Where's the passion today? If the church doesn't rise up in the midnight hour, very soon there's not going to be left anything to save. You know, the hot topic back east, because we got the coastline there, spring break. It should be called Sodom and Gomorrah week. People lost their lives. People died of overdoses. Someone was shot dead. There were all kinds of crimes committed. They had sex orgies and rapes right on the beach while the onlookers applauded them to do more. It was a total lawless event. And the perfect example of how any society can deteriorate unless they're evangelized. They want nothing to do with God, morality, abstinence, Jesus. They're untouched. It's a snapshot of what the world is going to become if we don't take evangelism seriously and have a passion for it again. God help us. This is what conversion is all about. It's not to facilitate people on the path they're on, but to get them to change direction, change their lifestyle and the way they're living, to get them on the path that leads to eternal life. Got a quote here that says, Can a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Could you sit at ease in Zion while the world around you is damned? That's Leonard Ravenhill. William Booth said, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell, hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters to come there uh, uh, that they would not have the flame touch them. Then look at Christ's face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. General William Booth. We must work now because the most scariest words Jesus ever spoke was the night coming. The night is coming. Summer is come and gone. We're not saved. My God. What can we do? What more can we do? We can live and breathe a passion for souls. When's the last time 
you looked at someone, maybe a cashier, as you're checking out of a department store or something, and, and all of a sudden you looked at them and you just loved their soul. You were you so moved, I've got to tell them about Jesus. Become a duty or a passion. Yeah, we have the doctrine right. The doctrine of the fellowship is preach the gospel, make disciples, and send out churches. That's gospel. But the passion needs to drive that. Not duty. Not just the commission alone. Yeah, okay, that's the way you want to do it. But you know what? It really makes a difference when you love souls. And when they know that you love their soul. And this girl recently come in to get saved and had to put her under a discipline because she had some problems a, a, a number of times. And, you know, she's from the younger generation. She's 23 years old, something like that. She has to deal with all the insanity all day long. And yet she's been coming to church. God's been talking to her. And so I put her, put her out, encouraged her, keep communication with her, see how she's doing. And she wrote a letter. My wife said that while I came here, she sent a letter and said, Dear Pastor Campbell, thank you so much for doing the right thing. Telling me that I was wrong to do what I did and investing in my life and has every intention of coming back and doing what's right before God. This is the younger generation now. And said, I thank God that you cared for me to tell me that I was doing something wrong. See, today, we, we're in a generation where nobody wants to be the bad guy. Just close your eyes. Let them walk the way to destruction. We want to be in the middle of everything. We want to be neutral. You really think it's wrong tonight? Stop jiving. What have you become after all these years? Say, yeah, it's wrong. And if you don't stop doing it, it's going to kill you. Do we have a passion today? Certainly, Vegas is an incredible harvest field. I brought someone from my church with me. He's like, went to uh, have, have, have some lunch and stuff. And he's looking at some of these casinos. I said, yeah, that's their church. That's where they worship. A couple of times ago, I, I came to Las Vegas. I, we, we stayed at one of the, 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 the places on the strip over there. And every morning I come down to get my ride to go to church. I have to walk through. The, the, I see the same old lady. She must be 80 years old. She's worshiping. It's just, two days, she's there. Six o'clock in the morning, she's there. 12 o'clock at night, she's there. That's her passion. What's yours? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.